Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. Thanks for being with us today. You know what? If you want to live a great life, God has made a way. Now listen, this is, I am not talking about the stuff that religion talks about. I am not talking about, you know, knowing some magic formula to how to get God to do things for you or, or you know, how to pray hard enough, loud enough, long enough to convince God to make life work for you or, or you know, none of that nonsense. I'm telling you something. God brings quality into our life in so many ways. But one of the things that you realize, God brings quality in your life hand in hand with developing your character. Now, we've been made righteous in Jesus. I, you know, man, I was, I, I was one of the guys that, in, that really pioneered the whole concept of the fact that we have been made as righteous as we're ever going to get, that, that the gift of righteousness came in to us when we got born again. But, but there are, having the gift of righteous, righteousness doesn't mean you're living righteous. It doesn't mean everything's working. It means that you now have the power for everything to work in your life as it should be. Uh, and, but our character determines, even though we've been given the gift of righteousness, it determines how we manage ourselves. It determines whether we walk in the strengths or the weaknesses of freedom. You know, we've all been given freedom now in Jesus, so the question is, how are you going to use it? You know, uh, I made reference to this last week, for example. Uh, uh, about the favor of God. You know, I've got a great series on, on the favor of God. And the favor of God has pretty much been taught, uh, you know, for the last 20 or 30 years that if you'll just believe God for favor, you get favor. And so, you know, you got people expecting God to give them favor with their, with their employers. You got God expecting to give them favor with with uh, people they want to meet, with people they want to date, all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> Listen, that is not at all what the Bible is talking about when it talks about God giving you favor. You know, uh, there, there is a, a form of uh, 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 phrase in the Hebrew language that we don't have in the English. There is no way to explain or, or to, to, to say it in the English. Most of the time in the Old Testament, when you'll read where it says, God says, I will cause this to happen. I will bring this upon you. Uh, uh, I will make, you know, I will make this, you know, to occur. Very seldom in the Hebrew is it actually saying that God is going to take an action to make anything happen. You know, it's, it's that way with the curse. I will cause the curse to come upon you. Well, really, that's not what it's saying in, in the Hebrew. Or I'll cause the blessing to come upon you. No, that's really not what it's saying. Because in this particular form of speech, it's called Hithel, H-I-P-H-I-L. And if you're using PC Study Bible, you can click on, you can click on any of these phrases and it'll tell you, it, you know, if it's a Pile phrase or Hithel phrase or, you know, or, or, or that sort of thing. And, and in the Hifel form, the subject of the sentence is never actually taking action to make something happen. But it would be, it would be sort of like this. 
what if you said, I'm going to go dig, uh, I'm going to go dig a waterway, and I'm going to dig this waterway from, from the Tennessee River to my house. And so let's say this is, you know, back in the days of having to take a paddle boat up the river. And so I come get, get to, the, to where I've dug this waterway. And so, and so I've got a little, little raft I'm going to jump on when, you know, when the boat gets to the Tennessee River so that I don't have to walk, you know, 10, 15 miles into, into the city. And, but so since I dug the waterway and since I observed the rules of the direction that the current is going to flow, um, I could say, I have made this to take you to Huntsville. Now, I made it to take you to Huntsville, not because I took action, not because I got on the raft with you and, and pulled the raft in or, or, or used paddles you know, to, to, to paddle the raft in. I, it's because I worked around a certain, a certain set of, of, of laws of physics that said, if you get in this, you know, the way I've designed it, I will cause you to be able to float all the way to your house in Huntsville. Now, that's what the HIFL form is saying. God, you know, God is saying, I have set certain things in place, and, and I, because I set those in place, if you step into this situation, this will cause a certain thing to happen. But God's not taking action to make it happen. So there's so many things that God gets blamed for, because, really because of, of, of our poor translation uh, of the Hebrew language. So the favor of God, it, it, when God says, I will cause you to have favor, he is not saying, I will make someone like you. You know, back in the, man, back in the high, you know, heyday of the word of faith, it was almost like I can be dishonest, I can be lazy, I can show up to work late, you know, I can halfway do my job. But you know something, I'm believing God for favor. No. You know, when you operate in godly character, you know, uh, there's a, a businessman here in town that I've done business with for years. You know, Brenda and I flipped 14 houses and this is one of the ways that we used to make our personal income back in the day. And, um, uh, you know, done all kinds of business deals. And, and this is my go-to guy for financing. And so, when I, you know, when I get ready to, go to, to do a house, I'd go to him, tell him what I needed. We'd do a handshake, and we would, you know, we'd do business. Now, it didn't start out that way. It started out, I, I almost never got, I mean, it took a couple of years to get my first loan from him. And actually, at one point in time, he said he would never do business with me. And uh, so we started doing business together. So over the years, he's been my go-to guy. Well, you can't even imagine how many people have said, how, man, can you get me an introduction to this guy? And I was like, yeah, I can get you an introduction. Well, listen, you know, tell me, tell me what it is. How do I, how do I get the kind of favor with him that you've got, so I can be sure and get this business deal. I said, well, I'll tell you how you can get the favor I've got. Do business with him for 30 years. Never lie to him. Never break your word. Uh, don't ever take advantage of him financially. If there's ever a situation that's not working out the way it should, don't make any excuses. Just go to him and communicate with him and solve the problem. And if you'll do that for about 30 years, then you can do like I do, where you just walk in, shake hands, and, and do a multi-million dollar deal. Now, <clears throat> that's what God's talking about. There are so many things that depend upon uh, our character. Now, 
we are, we are living, as you know, in incredibly, incredibly troubling times. And the truth is, almost all of the theories that are being presented right now about social justice, uh, about, uh, about uh, uh, you know, prison reform, about uh, uh, anything, that has to do with, anything that has to do with justice and, and civil order, Almost everything that is being presented today is in direct opposition to the Word of God. And, you know, you know political correctness, uh, uh, again, you know, social justice, uh, you know, all of these, all, all attempts at gaining equality, whether it's racial equality, whether it's financial equality, it really doesn't matter. I can tell you this, when they are not, consistent with or congruent with the Word of God, they will not work because they, they are not empowered by the life of God. When they are not based on us developing character, when it's based on some, some vague, abstract social construct, it is not going to work. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how good the law is, how good the rule is, if, if, if people aren't empowered to do it, and if their character is not changed to do it, then the truth is, it is absolutely never, ever, ever going to work. Well, today there is a concept of justice, and it is based on a half-truth, uh, and that half-truth uh, uh, is not the part of the truth that gets down to application. It's not the part of the truth that gets down to solving the problem. It's about just the part of the truth that kind of gets down to identifying the problem. Now, this, this social justice issue is, is at the center of Freudian psychology, uh, psychiatry. It is at the center of humanistic thought, uh, uh, philosophy, and psychology. It is at the center of Luciferian psychology and thought, but it is a, it is a perversion of a biblical truth. It's, it's taking part of a truth and applying it without all of the truth. And so we are trying to come up with a, a, uh, a fair system, a fair you know, uh, uh, justice, true justice. And this true justice that we're seeking is based on a theory. And that theory is that people are who they are. They become who they are because of how society affects them. See, you know, you didn't get to pick out your parents, you, you know. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday, and he just said, look, Jim, he said, you know, our parents might have loved us. He said, but you and I both, you know, had parents that had some serious flaws in how they dealt with life. And he said, you know, so many times I look around at something that I'm struggling with, and I go, yeah, I know where I got that. You know, saw, saw my dad do that, saw my mom do that. You know, that's, that's the way they did it. You know, you know I, had a, I had a dear friend, I tell you, I mean, a dear friend, still a dear friend. And, uh, and man, he was in a marriage situation where his wife was so physically abusive, she should have been put in prison. And, uh, but the, what was interesting is he grew up where there was a lot of abuse, verbal, and I don't know if it was physical otherwise, in his family. And so he honestly believed that this was the way that all husbands and wives functioned when they got home, you know, behind the scenes. There was always chaos, always fighting, always, always, always all this. And the truth is, until he spent time with me and Brenda, 
he had never seen a family that behind the scenes was the same as they were in front of people. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a big shock to him to realize, no, fighting, fussing, physical abuse, all that, that is not normal. That is not what normal do, normal people do. Well, this is the condition that the world is in. Right now, the world is in a condition where society, because it's gotten worse. Now, society's gotten worse for a reason. It's gotten worse because we stopped about 50 or 60 years ago basing civil law and justice on the Word of God. And when we abandoned the Word of God as the basis and the understanding for civil law, which, by the way, like it or not, whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, doesn't matter, uh, most of America's life philosophies and judicial system is based on the Judeo-Christian values of the Word of God, whether you like it or not. And I know all these people are trying to rewrite history, and change history, and erase these things you know, from the books, uh, from the history books, but that's, that's absolutely just the way it is. And so the more we've gotten away from God's justice, now this will be true in your family, as, as much as your family is a microcosm of the country. And the more you raise your children and the more you model to them something that is contrary to the wisdom and the word of God, then the less justice there's going to be in those families and the more codependency there's going to be, the more dishonesty there's going to be, the more laziness there's going to be. And this is why you, this is why you got grown men, you know, living in their parents' basement at 35 years old that don't have a job. <clears throat> it's, because, it's because all of these principles were violated you know, when they were seven years old or when they were six years old as far as giving people responsibility because we started accepting the word of Freud, a godless Jew. We started accepting the word of psychiatrists and psychologists and, and, and different life philosophies that were contrary to the word of God. And even worse, they had never been proven to be true. I want you to know most of what's being shoved down our throat today has never worked it's, it's never been true. It's never been proven to work. In fact, in most cases, it has been proven to always produce the exact opposite of what it promises. But doctors say it. Scientists say it. So it, so it must be true. Right now, the philosophy of the world, the philosophy of families, the philosophy of you know, educational systems is that you know, we've got to have compassion. And compassion will look at a situation and how, they'll, they'll look at where people came from. They'll look at the, how bad of a family they came from. And so since they came from a bad family and there was this social environment wherein they took on these values, then, then we cannot hold them accountable because they didn't choose to be in that family. Well, stop and think about it, though. If, if being raised in a family that poor values took you to this place of, you know, being a murderer, being a liar, being a cheat, being a drug addict, you know, whatever, whoremonger, whatever, then if there is not a call to repentance, a call to changing your mind about your ethics and your morals and your character, if there is not something that turns you back to God's values and God's morals, God's ethics, God's character. If there's not something that turns you back, 
then you become a part of perverting the next generation, except it gets worse, and then they pervert the next generation, and it gets worse, and they pervert the next generation, and it gets worse. Now, here's the amazing thing. God gets this rap for being mean, hateful, and all this kind of stuff, but the real truth is, uh, generation after generation, he shows love and compassion to people who are rebellious. He shows love and compassion to people who, who are destructive. And, uh, you know, he is, not, he is not the kill you now and then I'll cool down later God that people, you know, proclaim him to be. You know, Proverbs 14, 29 says this, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Now, <clears throat> one of the phrases that's used to describe God is that he is slow to wrath. And that's not, no, that's not what religion says. Religion pictures God as this fault-finding God sitting on this throne who is out to get you, and at the slightest little upset, man, he's going to nail you. Well, if that were true, the world would have been wiped out long ago. You know, there was, a, there was a popular atheist back in the 60s and the 70s. And um, uh, part of the reason, she, you know, she was struggling with whether God was real or not. And, and her son tells this story that, the, that what caused his mother to finally cross the line and dedicate her life to, to fighting Christianity was going out into a thunderstorm and cursing God. And, and, and because she was so desperate, uh, her name was Madeline Murray O'Hare, and this is just a story passed down you know, by her family. She was so desperate to know if God was real. She thought, if God's real, and I go out here and curse him in the middle of this, uh, this electrical thunderstorm here, I, you know, surely he'll kill me, and I'll finally know if God's real or not. So she goes out, she curses God, and God did not kill her. And her assumption was, then there is no God. Well, I can tell you what the truth is that is greater than her assumption. The truth is there is a God, and He is merciful. And that's not only, so God not killing her was not only the proof that there is a God, but the proof that God is not who religion said that He would be. Now, in the book of Exodus, we have this really interesting event where, you know, God has taken the children of Israel from Egypt into Canaan. And this is the type, if we want to understand our journey from getting saved into the realm of heaven on earth, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, if we want to understand that journey, we have to understand what happened from Egypt to Canaan and, and, uh, and the lessons that they learned so that we do not repeat their failures, so that we do not do the things that cause us to spend 40 years stumbling through our life, never getting to where we want to go, never experiencing the goodness of God the way we'd like to. Now listen, let me just mention this, by the way. I always want to bring this up, that if you want to know more about the justice of God, if you want to know more about what will happen inside you that will forever change the way you see God and forever change your patience with people, then you definitely want to get this series, walk through every word of it over and over again, do the exercises that I'm going to suggest. And, you know, I'm going to give you as much of this as I can in this, in this uh, video series, but uh, 
not everybody wants to spend that much time in it. So, so I always create a, an audio series that you can use if you're serious about being a disciple, if you're serious about developing your life. All right. Now that said, oh, and let me mention, got to remember this, next month, October, every year in October, we have Heart Physics Weekend. So, man, if this stuff really rings your bell and you're like, man, I'm making this journey, I, I am, I am going to become patient, I'm going to become loving, I'm going to become, I am going to understand the justice of God, I am going to represent God here on earth, and you want to be a part of Heart Physics Weekend. This year we're going to be talking about meditative prayer, and I'm telling you what, it's going to be an eye-opener. All right, so children of Israel making this journey from, from uh, Egypt, the world, into Canaan, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And so... Moses, um, man, he, he's getting so frustrated with these people. They are stiff-necked. They are rebellious. They complain. They gripe. They never want to trust God. They're ready to overthrow Aaron and Moses, vote in some other leaders, and go back to Egypt. Uh, and, 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 and then when, when Moses is on the mountain communing with God, they build them a golden calf. And start worshiping the calf, saying, "Oh, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. We don't know where Moses is. We don't know where, we don't know where that God is. But so we're we're, we're going to create us a God of our own." And so, man, you know, uh, I'm sure Moses expected God to kill all these people. And I'll be talking to you a little bit about that and the journey that God took Moses on. So in Exodus 34, five through seven, it, uh, uh, Moses goes back up on the mountain to get the to get the tablets re-engraved. And it says, now the Lord descended in the cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed before him. Now, what's interesting is in the Hebrew language, when it says that he proclaimed the name of the Lord, um, uh, it actually says, uh, refers to Jehovah, the name of the Lord, twice. Now, it's really interesting that Moses requested to see the glory of God. Now, the glory of God, you know, the glory of something is this greatest splendor, greatest aspect of power, greatest everything, you know. And so I'm sure based on his belief about the pagan gods that he had seen, you know, all of his life there in Egypt and, and even on the, in the desert when he was in, the, in, in Midian raising sheep, you would expect, okay, God's going to show me his glory. So he's probably going to blow up a mountain. In other words, he's going to show me something very masculine. Well, when God's glory passed before Moses, what he perceived and experienced was not the masculine, fatherly power of God. He experienced the nurturing mother character and nature of God. Because what passed before Moses was the, was the goodness of God. So God's like, I'm going to show you the thing that's the most powerful about me. I'm going to show you the most demonstrative thing about who I am. And what he did is he showed him how good he is. And that's... That's when it goes on to say, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. In other words, he proclaimed Jehovah, Jehovah. Now, Jehovah is the name of God that represents his mothering characteristics. That's, this is why Jehovah is the name that's connected. You know, Jehovah Jireh, 
uh, Jehovah Shalom. All of these are nurturing, mothering aspects. Uh, whereas Elohim is more of the fathering, strength and power aspects uh, of God. And so uh, I just find this really interesting that until you see the nurturing, loving, mothering aspects of God's character, then you really haven't seen the greatest aspect of God's glory. So he says, the Lord, the Lord God merciful. And so, he's, so when God passes before Moses, he, you know, he had some kind of experience, but there was also then this proclamation of explaining the goodness of God and, and making this something, you know, uh, that could be comprehended by the human mind. So he says, he's merciful. He's gracious. Woo, like all that. Long-suffering. Abounding in goodness and truth. Now, Moses is coming to understand who God really is. And if he doesn't understand who God really is, he really can't, he's not qualified to lead the children of Israel and try to, try to take them into the promised land because he won't do it with compassion. You know, it's a really interesting thing. And I'm going to read on about this and then we're going to talk about compassion and we're just going to hit the, barely hit the surface. He goes on to say, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty. And you're like, whoa, wait, what do you mean you don't, you don't clear the guilty? I thought this was all about your goodness. Well, uh, it is. Uh, God would not be a good God if he did not have a means of dealing with the guilty. So God's justice is a major aspect of his goodness. And until we understand his justice, we can't understand his goodness. Now, I'm going to show you something really quick. I'm just going to barely touch on it. And then he continues to say, the English says it this way, visiting the iniquity of the fathers... Uh, or, let me say, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought you were showing me your goodness. How, can you, how are you showing me your goodness if you're telling me that the iniquity of the parents are, is going to be paid for by the second and third generation? Well, you know, anybody that's reading their Bible much knows that there's three other places in the Bible that God directly says, something just the opposite. He says clearly that the children cannot pay for the sins of the parents. So actually in the Hebrew, it says something more like this. When it's talking about his justice, it says that he will remember that it is the iniquity of the fathers that's being visited on the children of the third and fourth generation. You know what he's saying there? See, socialism tells us that since society got you the way you are, you're not responsible. Now, that not responsible part, no, not so much. But I want you to understand something. What God is saying here is two and three generations from now, when your life, when you're messing up, when you are in iniquity, when you're committing sin, when you're in your rebellion, one of the things is I'm going to remember is you are the way you are because of the influence of society. Yep, you are the way you are because of how your mother and father model this stuff to you and the beliefs that you now have. You're just expressing those. Now, 
Listen, understanding where someone's problem comes from makes it possible for you to have compassion. But if you stop at just having compassion, you will not only be unable to help that person, you'll be a part of destroying them. So listen, be sure and join me next week because we're going to dive deeper into how understanding is the key to compassion and how understanding is going to be the first step to knowing how to actually help people. Now remember, don't forget, be sure and comment on this. Ask your questions, post your comments. Don't argue, don't be hateful and ugly and all that kind of stuff. Like this, share it with other people. Do everything you can to help us get this word out to everybody. And I'll be back with you next week. We'll be talking about this. And I'm telling you what, it's going to be good. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.